Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to our first episode of Cork Talk. As we mentioned in our teaser, we plan to go to our guests and record at their location. And for this first episode, we did just that. We had the pleasure of speaking with Chuck and Diana Jones of Jones Vondrell Vineyard and Winery in Thurman, North Carolina. Chloe, Chuck and Diana's sweet dog, also joined us. And as the official mascot of Jones Vondrell, that was only appropriate. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here with uh, Diana and Chuck from Jones Vondrell. Welcome. Thank you very much for having us here. You're welcome. You're it's welcome. a pleasure Thank to you. be a part of your inaugural podcast. <laughs> We're definitely excited about that. Hopefully, hopefully we'll make this a good thing and uh, people will actually want to listen and you know, <laughs> continue on. But again, thank you for that. And of course, Chloe is here with us too, so we can't forget her. She's absolutely. raising her eyebrow at the moment looking at us. Like, the rock star of the winery. Absolutely. <laughs> we work for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Jones Bondrell. How you ended up here, what was the background, of why you wanted to start a winery and vineyard, and why this spot? Well, um, I guess first thing you need to know is Jones Vondrell is a family vineyard. Um, Chuck and I and my sister and her husband are the owners. We are, Chuck is our managing partner and visionary. We are all from North Carolina. Three of us grew up in Hickory. Um, Chuck grew up in Asheville. Ronnie and Raymond have always lived in Hickory, um, built a business there, Vondrell Industries. Um, Chuck and I lived all over the country. Four of those years in the mid-80s were in the San Francisco Bay Area. And Chuck was building a wireless system throughout the state and got to meet some of the owners of vineyards because he was putting sites on their property. And this is in the early ages of wireless um, when the phones were still gigantic. And... Um, <laughs> He loved everything about the process, you know, and so we moved to Roswell, Georgia in 1990, and we, uh, he built his own business building wireless around the world, and we planted a small hobby vineyard and made hobby wine. He's been studying this for over 30 years and um, decided that, you know, this is something we love that we would be very interested in doing. Um, so the thought of this took place over a lot of years. It's not something that we jumped into. Um, when, we, when we really, really got serious about doing this, um, before my sister and Raymond ever decided they were going to join us, um, Chuck started doing a lot of research. And you know, we always wanted to come back to North Carolina. So you know, we started studying the North Carolina wine industry, traveling, tasting wines around the state. And, you know, our goal, bottom line, is to make great wine. Great wine that is competitive nationally, internationally. Great wine that restaurants um, are proud to put on their menus. And so, because of that goal, um, we decided we were going to, going to be in a state winery. We wanted as much control over the entire process as we could have. And because we were going to be in the state winery, knowing that only our fruit goes into our wines, um, the site was of maximum importance. As Dan says, you cannot make great wine if you don't start out with great fruit. And Dan is? Dan is our winemaker. Correct. Um, Dan Tallman. And, um, and so Chuck started studying the area, you know, looking 
at all those aspects that together produce beautiful grapes, you know, a, a beautiful terroir for growing vinifera grapes. We're, we are 100% vinifera. Um, and so we were looking for elevation and wind flow and rocky soils and south facing and good drainage. And he narrowed it down to an area of about three by 15 miles from Devotion to Trap Hill. Um, we looked a little bit over in the western part of the state, but after really traveling and doing a lot of research, we decided this was the area that we needed to look at. So um, did a lot of drive time. Our youngest went to Elon University and um, did a lot of drive time, um, looking at different places, tasting a lot of wine around the state. And um, we were up in this area and we got lost. And Easy to do in this place. That's right. State, we right? got, got lost. in Thurman. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a Dollar General then. No, there, there wasn't. So we turned on Old Railroad Grade, round the curves, and all of a sudden Chuck slammed on the brakes and said, Look at that. And it was a pasture land, a long pasture land, rolling hills, there were cows on it, had a little red barn on it. And um, we sat there and talked and looked at it for a while and he got back in the car and said, this is what we have to find. And so um, we drove a couple hundred yards down the road and here's a little tiny for sale sign. So that's how that's we found it. this specific piece of property. And it's so funny because um, when we went back and looked at pictures we had taken as we were traveling the area, we'd actually gone up the mountain to the overlook and we took pictures and you can see the property in those pictures. Oh, so so cool. it's, it's just very interesting how things fell together. Did you have any idea then that that was the property you were gonna buy? Not at that, well, not until we started looking at those pictures, okay. then we realized that's the property. And now, this time of year, you can go up there and see the vineyard. Oh wow. So it's, it's really a pretty sight. There's an interesting story there too. We planted in 2009, there's 24,000 some odd vines out there and we put grow tubes around each of them they look like white milk cartons, about three feet tall. Right. Well, from up on the overlook, looks like a cemetery. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like Arlington, you know, all these little, they're perfectly lined up, and you go, yes. what is that down there? Yeah. Little tiny memorials to me. Yes, yes. Okay. That's awesome. So, um, and I mean, in terms of this particular site, it had the elevation where the highest elevated planted vineyard in the Yakin Valley. And we started off with 65 total acres. We're now at about 110 acres. You know, we live in a small rural environment that doesn't have any zoning. Mm -hmm. So we're protecting ourselves and giving us room for future growth. Um, and I just can't say enough about the wind that flows off that mountain. I mean, it is absolutely key. You know, as you know, 2018 was a tough year. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we had historic rainfall. Here, I think normal is around 42 inches. We got close to 75 inches of rain. Oh, wow. And um, so a lot of rain, but because of this site, um, Dan, our winemaker, was very pleased with the harvest that we brought in. And there are people writing stories around North Carolina that says 2018 harvest for North Carolina is going to be terrible, yeah. but it depends on where you are. Well, and because I think part of that is because the state is so broad and there's so many microclimates. That's right. You can't yep. just say, even within the Yadkin Valley, you can't just say, okay, it was a bad year. That's right. Because of the different aspects of, of the vineyard and where it's located and right. the wind from the mountains and all that stuff that you were talking about. So. That's right. That's right. So, um, so anyway, I think the wind is just absolutely key. And then when we built the vineyard, um, we did things a little differently to enhance that natural attribute of the site. You know, um, he took the um, canopy up higher, the cordon wire is about 42 inches off the ground compared to traditionally about 36. The vines are six feet apart 
we're looking for wind flow. We keep the area underneath the vines clean because um, reduced disease, we think, reduced disease yeah. pressure in the winter time that um, absorbs the sunlight. And you know, if you're talking about a frost situation, it's just a couple of degrees that could make a difference. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it has. We've had years where you know it's been a frost condition, and early in the morning when that really starts to hit those two or three degrees going up into the canopy when the buds are just coming out, we've not lost fruit to a frost. And plus, as I was saying, the slope from top to bottom is pretty dramatic. And so it's just like yeah, water it flows to the bottom corner and pulls that cold air with it. So it's, the site protects us to some extent. Pretty cool. So plus, what's the, oh, go ahead, Well, plus the big lake down here, we put that in uh, for a couple of reasons, one for irrigation, but when the Corps of Engineers came to review the location, they asked me, why do you see so many lakes near vineyards? And I said, well, there's a, it, it, there's a, uh, a lake effect where we buy a couple of degrees also because the water stays warmer and it flows up, up that little slope by the Chardonnay and helps protect that area from frost. So, Which is important because Chardonnay is one of the, those for notorious early bud break and right. lots that of people use it. That in Tempranillo, which is around the corner from right. it, and so we, we buy those few, few degrees makes a big difference. Well, that's one of the funny things with the lake and the irrigation. So when we started this in 2007, North Carolina had just come out of a pretty long drought. And so, you know, you don't plant a 30-acre vineyard without having some sort of insurance policy. So every one of those vines is irrigated. Have not had to use that. <laughs> that seems to be the, uh, most people insurance. around here They call it insurance. Yes. Yeah. Especially <laughs> the last few years, there's no need for that. So. That's right. So, so, how did you go about deciding what varietals to plant on this site? Well, a lot of that was, um, that research has been done for us ahead of time because you had folks like the Sheltons and uh, Michael and Amy Helton and other, others that had planted already and seen what, what varieties worked and didn't work. And we had a consultant, George Rigby, who helped us go through what Virginia is growing and what we could grow here. And some of this, there's a curse of the owner's curse where you tend to plant what you like to drink. Right. Not because it'll make good wine. <laughs> and we were fortunate there that we didn't get afflicted with the owner's curse. All the varieties here have done well for us. In fact, if we had gone that route, we would have tried planting Pinot Noir because that is his favorite wine. That is a go-to wine. And, um, it's really tough know, to grow Pinot Noir. Well, obviously we don't grow it. So. Right. <laughs> and so far, all the varieties here, I think we've produced really nice wines with them. Uh, Movedra is the accidental red that we we can't get it to the ripeness we like, but it makes a killer rosé for us, mm. which it does in France as well. Right. So we just you know, made uh, lemonade out of lemons out on that one. So if you ever get it to the ripeness, are you planning to do a, a red? You know, I don't know that Dulcman has a big following, and we, um, we, we'll probably stick with that. Okay. And you use Grenache for rosé primarily, too, as well? Solely for, for a rosé. For the dry rosé. Which, again, is... Right. And that's kind of the way to do it. You want to grow the grapes specifically for the rosé right. instead of just experimenting or pulling off or creating a lesser product or... That's right. Or making two, two wines and a lot of folks will take uh, Merlot or Cap Franc and they'll say that the bleed they call it, uh, juice in order to, to leave a greater concentration of the juice remaining on the skins, but you're making two wines. But you sacrifice to some extent, we believe, the quality of the rosé when you do that. So for we us... Agree with that. For us, you know, Grenache is classic. And, Absolutely. Uh, you can tell it when 
pretty glass of it. Oh, yes. So you mentioned no issues really with the varietals you have planted. So you do have Viognier planted. Yeah. Viognier is notorious for being fickle in the vineyard. It is. Is it still fickle for, for you guys? It, it's, it's amusing as much as it is fickle because you never quite know or understand one row will, will be very shy. It's a shy bear sometimes. And your yield is really nothing. And then two rows over, you've got this really beautiful set across there. So it's, it's very uh, fussy that way. But when you, when you take the time to, it does take a lot of time to care for it. Leaf pulling and dropping clusters, you don't want too many. Um, the wines that come off of that are just incredible. They're aromatically, uh, we believe we produce a, a very varietally true Viognier. It's won many, many awards. Um, it's one of our favorite wines here. We, we're actually planning another clone. We have three of those clones already. We believe in the clonal diversity like that. And so we have a new clone that's being planted this, uh, this spring, which I think is going to really enhance the, the overall product. Oh, very cool. So what's the, some of the characteristics of the new clone? Uh, I can't tell you. It's one of those secret, secret things. It's, it's straight from Kondru. It's, it's uh, not been imported here before at the nurseries. Okay. And uh, we're excited to get it. It has great floral. You know, uh, classic uh, VNA has the honeysuckle jasmine notes, and this is known for it. Mm -hmm. And we already have that, but this just takes it up a notch. Awesome. Can't wait. Well, and, in four years, we'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever oak the Viognier, or Never. is it all stainless? It's all stainless. Okay. Keeps it clean. I know there are some, some oaked Viognier's out there. There are a few. Uh, we like that uh, intensity that we get, the, uh, the melon that you get in the mouth, all the, all the characteristics. We don't want to mute that with oak. Right. Okay. So we would be remiss in uh, talking about varietals if we didn't talk about Petite Manzai. That's a basic they'd ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Just won an award for the uh, 17. In San Francisco, that was uh, best in class in the VNAs. And I find it fascinating. I don't think you would have seen a best in class three or four years ago even as a, as a varietal. But it's, it's making its own way now, particularly on the East Coast. Virginia is championing that grape. And uh, we, we have a big planning of it because we love we love the wine that it produces. Well, in fact, um, last year at the North Carolina Wine Growers meeting, um, I went to one of the sessions that Michael Shapps was doing, and he raved about Petit saying, And so, um, you know, a lot of excitement here and in Virginia about it. And um, there was an article done out of Greensboro, I think, eight, 1808, I think that's the magazine. Um, and they talked about, is this the next big thing? All I can tell you is when I take um, Petit saying out, um, chefs rave about it. I mean, I rarely have one, one that doesn't really love the Petit Mansang. It's unique, it's full-bodied, it's... It's the red know, wine drinker's white wine. That's it what is. Clark Barlow says, yes. And the yes. thing that's also cool about it is we can grow it here and grow it well. It's pretty disease-resistant. Uh, it'll hang out there on Christmas if we let it. And the berries will raise and That's why most people make a sweet wine with it right. because the bricks get so high, the sugars get so high you can stop that fermentation, have a sweet wine. And it's rare to find, it's not as rare now, but used to be even get a dry petite man saying they were all to some degrees sweet. And that's what Diana was saying. When a chef tastes a wine like this with such great acid, uh, it, it's that food, they're all trying to make right. pairings the second they're tasting it. Right. But one of the reasons we thought about it was because um, he's been drinking it for 25 years. 
And so he knew it. And when he started studying um, the different varieties, he said, I think this has great potential here. And there were a few people that had it planted. Yeah, yeah. So we knew that it grew in this area. And it's just lived up to everything. I mean, people always ask me, what are you known for? And I said, well, I mean, I think our wines are good across the board. However, definitely Petit Mansang is one that we're becoming known for. You know, so. Can you describe Petit Mansang for people who may not be familiar with it? The, the grape or the wine? Oh, uh, both, yeah. Well, the grape is a small berry, that's Petit Mansang. Um, it's, it's usually one of three uh, grapes in a blend from Jurassa. One is Gros Mansang, Petit Mansang, and uh, Petit Corbeau. It is uh, it's a robust, high acid, uh, thus I think it protects it somewhat in the field out there, but it uh, the clusters are uh, fairly open. Uh, I just can't think of anything negative to say about it. It's, it's the one we can leave out there and not worry about too much. Now we can't neglect it, but uh, and then on the wine, I'll let Diana talk about that. Um, well, the other thing, because of that high acidity and the higher alcohol, we think it's going to have a long shelf life. You know, what we've seen so far is that, you know, the bottles are aging well. So, um, in terms of the style that we make, you know, it's it's 100% dry. It's ranged in because it, it just builds sugar so beautifully. It ranges in alcohol from 14.3, I think was our lowest, up to 15.8. Um, we're always praying and hoping it stays below 16. <laughs> right, <laughs> which, is, which is really yes. unheard of in North Carolina for yes. a wine to have that much alcohol. Yes, yeah. I mean, Dan calls it the no problem child. It's like, he says, I do almost nothing to this. And, and when it goes through fermentation, it is just the most beautiful smelling wine. Um, yeah, I uh, remember the Royal Lifesavers, it was called Tropical Fruit, you yes. put pineapple, whatever. It's exactly like that. Breaking one of those things open and putting a Lifesaver pack under your nose. That's oh, wow. Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's yeah. Great description. But yeah. yeah, but it, like I said, it's very full-bodied. It lingers like a red. It, um, I often tell people, if uh, you had your eyes closed and I warmed this to red temperature, I'm not sure you would know you were drinking a white. Um, People kept asking Dan, well, what's it like, what's it like? And finally he said, well, if I have to put it in a box, I would say it's like a Sauvignon Blanc on steroids, which is much, much nicer. So what's the most rewarding aspect of getting your wine on a, on a list? Is it? Is it... Um, well, I can say one thing. I love to eat, as all of you know. <laughs> and we try to, to leave here every so often to go to a market where our wines are, and we will go to a restaurant and sit down and have dinner. When you open that wine list, and there are two or three, you know, Jones von Drell by the glass wines, Cab Franc or the Merlot, that's pretty uplifting. And we'll ask the server, they don't know who we are, we'll always introduce ourselves before we finish. And it's, oh, they make great wine. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> that, is, that is, you walk away on air. You know, right. We bring that news back to everybody here because we're a small team and everybody works really, really hard here. Uh, and that is the reward. And that's the key. I mean, if, if you can get the serving staff and the restaurant or the wine store behind you, and that's, that is extremely rewarding. I mean, you go in and do some staff education and let them taste some of the wines and they're excited. I mean, people want good quality wine from North Carolina. Um, the local movement is a big deal right now. So um, that's, that's really exciting. But I will tell you, one of the nicest moments I've had recently was 
I did an event over at the Asheville Wine Market and a gentleman came up to me and he said, you know, Larry turned him on to our wines a couple of years ago. He said, for every special occasion in my life, I have your wine. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. You become a part of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. And that is, that is just super cool. Early on when we first started, it was extremely difficult. We had no, um, you know, um, support or we had no um, background that said to people, these people are making great wine. And so we started off in the Boone and Blowing Rock area and um, um, Mass Farm. Oh, Andy. Andy at Mass Farm Inn was the very, uh, not, yeah, no, over yonder, Andy at over yonder now, was the very first um, person that we tasted with. And it was a good experience. And then we um, tasted with um, a guy at uh, Roland's. And um, yeah, and um, he sent us the most beautiful email on how ecstatic that he was with the quality of the wines, how he wants to support us. And, I mean, it just gave us a lot of, of great feedback to say, okay, we're on the right path here. Um, but then as we've gone along and we've gotten the wines in major restaurants and restaurant groups um, and some of the nicest places around North Carolina and the wines winning um, major awards in big competitions, um, it, it, is, it has definitely helped. It's still, it's every day, you know, trying to educate people on North Carolina wine. We are making good wine in this state. Um, you know, it's not all sweet. Um, it's just, it's just constant education. So. That's well said. And uh, just so people can understand that it's not as simple as just going to a store and putting your wine on a shelf. Well, um, you know, as I said when we first started talking, um, our goal was to make great wines and wines that restaurants and fine wine stores would be proud to put on their shelf. And so with that in mind, when we planted the 30-acre vineyard, which produces a good amount of wine every year, we knew that we were going to be just getting the wine out there or trying to get the wine out there. And North Carolina, the North Carolina legislature, allows farm wineries to self-distribute their wine. Well, we decided to go this route for several reasons. Um, number one, you know, we can give the wine stores and the restaurants the best prices that we can give them. Um, number two, we're building a brand from scratch. And so the opportunity for them to get to know us and to know the story, I mean, quality wine is number one, but the story and the effort and the people behind it is also very important. And um, so to have them know who we are and what we're doing and for us to get to know our customers and what they're looking for is really important. Um, it's not easy to do this at all. I mean, we are covering the entire state from the mountains to the Outer Banks. And for the first two and a half years, it was just me covering the entire state. Oh, wow. Um, we now have a, a girl in the Raleigh area, um, or in the Triangle area, that does what I do. And so that's that's a big help. But, I mean, we're it's, it's a big area, you know? Yeah, it is. And so, um, you know, we try to focus on certain segments of it at d different times. And, you know, I'm never going to be like a distributor who can go in there on a weekly basis and call on somebody. But the relationships that we've established with our customers, you know, 
it, they they are great with working with us. They know to call me or to text me or to email me, and I check on them. And so it's a good working relationship. So let's talk about you've been open for what five six years now. Well, 2018 was our grand opening. Uh, I mean, 2014 was our grand opening. Um, we had a soft opening in 2013, didn't have that many wines available yet or anything. We didn't know what we were doing either. Did, yeah. <laughs> didn't know what we didn't know. Um, so, yeah. So do you have plans to do some library tastings at some point in the next few years? We have set wines back and they're, they're in their aging waiting. Excellent. Excellent. It's always fun for us. We, we love doing, we've done some verticals from Petit Van Sang, uh, hoping to do another one soon. and. Tempranillo we've done. Um, I think that's it so far, but we're looking forward to... Well, this room, as a matter of fact, is being re reworked, if you will, and turned into a library tasting room where we'll have long table and meant to be wine education more than just... for well, the lab is pretty comfortable, but we, we're going to use that for library tasting, for reserve tastings, invite special guests in with their wines to do tastings, so stay tuned for that. Nice. Uh, that sounds cool. like a fun thing. So you mentioned earlier that you know, back in 2013 when you did your soft opening, you didn't quite know exactly what you were doing, but obviously you've been growing very fast and you're, you're one of the bigger wineries in the state. So what are some of the things that you've learned between now and then? Well, that's a long list. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I have to say um, we have a great team. We have a great team of people. I, I just I, I just can't say enough about the team. It's you know, it's, it's really a family here. And so um, when we find somebody that um, wants to be here and fits in well, we work hard to keep them. Um, we value education of our team members. Um, so that's, that's a big part of what we've learned, you know, find and keep really great people. And listening to our customers. You know, it's, yes. neither one of us have been in retail. I was a flight nurse, you know, life flight nurse, and, and I'm a telecom guy. And so this is the fuzzy side of this is figuring out what do people want? We have to make the wine that we make, but how does it fit into the community, to the people that come up here, our wine club membership? And that's been exciting. It's been like learning a whole, you know, the old dog new trick thing. That's been a lot of fun for us. Would you you'd agree? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never been out selling things, so th <laughs> this was a whole new experience, you know? And. And the, the neat thing about us is that, you know, we have different personalities and different skill sets, and that has really worked for us here. You know, I'm definitely the more um, outgoing, you know, I'll get up and talk in front of people, but he is, his fingers are on every single aspect of what happens here. And, you know, without, without what he does, you know, none of us could do what we do, so... Takes a good vision to, it does. to get, to it get does. things off the ground. And Absolutely. And, and back to the teamwork thing. We all, yeah. uh, it's amazing what people will do if there's, a, if there's a void because somebody is sick or whatever. People will just jump in and fill it. This isn't a lot of hierarchy, it's, it's get it done. And as Don was saying, our, our customers, our uh, restaurants and stores, as well as our wine club and, and regular folks that come in and visit, it's the appreciation of what we do. Mm -hmm. And that's been, for Diana, she has to go out and, and, and tell people, try these wines. You're, you're going to be amazed. You know, early on, we have a logo on all of our cartons that say proudly North Carolina. And we're not ashamed. We don't try to hide behind, well, we're just like California. We don't care about California. We make Chardonnay here that's meant to be 
grown here. And I think Diana has found there's a welcome audience for that, but you just got to get past that resistance mm -hmm. thing. Right, right. Get still... them in their mouth. You know, right. it, that's a, some of our um, wine stores, and even at a restaurant group we went into in the Triangle area, um, they did a blind tasting with their staff and um, did not tell them where the wines were from, and they were just amazed. And we, and one of our wine stores over in Cary did a blind tasting with the Cab Franc, and they put it up against one from France, one from Argentina that they said was best of the vintage, and one from Washington State. And she sent me an email and said, be proud, yours won by far. So again, I mean, that's, that's the, one of the exciting things, is listening to that aha moment. You we know? call that the, the green eggs and ham moment here. <laughs> you ever, ever read that book? You know, the Dr. Yes. Seuss book yes. at the very yes. end goes, hey, we <laughs> like this. Yeah. And that's what we, we live for. Yeah. And I know both of you have mentioned um, driving a lot. How many miles would you say you've driven to distribute your wine and the wine research, finding out what you guys wanted to be? Oh, man. Well, the total mileage would be, well, my car already has a round trip to the moon booked on it. <laughs> There's 530,000 miles on the accurate oh, MDX. And uh, it's still going strong. It goes in Tuesday for a little tune-up. And Diana, she's had an accident on her car. It was 200,000 on that one? Yeah, 200,000. It was a 15, so. But I would say adding up the total mileage from when we first started this and the um, looking for the site and all of that kind of stuff, research, I would say we have well over a million miles. Yeah, we put a lot of research. Yeah. We lived in Atlanta, and uh, yeah. like I was saying, Amanda went to Elon, she played soccer there, and so we would come up for all the soccer games, and back and forth, and every moment we spend, we're researching if we didn't already have the property, once we had it, every moment we could spare. I was up here from Thursday through Sunday every week for the first four years. Yeah, yeah, he would come up here and he would mow between the rows at like two o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. Um, I'll tell you what dark is, by the way. <laughs> this is Thurman. The far end at Block G, one time I was mowing and it was like three in the morning and the tractor died, just died. Oh, no. Light went off, died. Didn't have no cell, full moon. Didn't have a cell phone with me. Or, or, no. no, I did, but it didn't have a light. Nowadays, the phones have lights on. But, <laughs> but, and I try to walk back, and it's cloudy. I tripped over more things and I finally got back to the barn. <laughs> But uh, it's very dark up here. Yeah. yeah, it's just you know, it's amazing what you do when you're trying to build something like this. So. Yeah, it is, but it's 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 cool. It's a lot of work. So would you say you're working harder now than you were oh. years ago? A hundred percent. Our favorite thing is on the weekend people the place is crowded on the porch out there. And we'll walk out and people will always say, "This is what I'm going to do when I retire." I just start laughing. <laughs> I, I, I don't say, just come follow us for a few weeks. I mean, you know, it, there are some lovely, beautiful times. You know, when we close oh, down yeah. on a summer day and we get to sit out there and have a glass of wine, it's, or the first time we ever harvested some of the grapes, some more bedroom being one because they're just so big. You know, it's like being in a movie. You know, it was way cool. But it is a tremendous amount of work. It's um, labor. It's hard it is manual labor. Very hard. Very it's hard. also mental. Yes, yeah. right. Yeah, constant worry. Yeah, because yeah, the weather, it's diseases. You, you gotta worry about all that stuff out there in the vineyard. You saw one other one comes yeah. in. I mean, it's just a lot to do. And, right. and we're producing and we're producing fine wine in an area that people don't consider a fine wine area, mm -hmm. and and trying to change people's minds and make them, you know, look at us. I mean, it's it's hard. 
I think we're getting there, though. Oh, I, I do, too. The NC Fine Wines thing, that's, that's been a good project. And, uh, you know, trying to get people aware of the fact that it's not, we're not up here by ourselves, but we are geographically up here. But the state, there are a lot of people growing some beautiful fruit and making great wines. And that's increasing every year. Well, I think that San Francisco Chronicle competition that was just announced is proof of that. I mean, there were multiple wineries that won medals in that competition. Largest competition of, uh, in the United States of, of, of U.S. wines. And, um, you know, that says a lot about what's happening in North Carolina. So, as a, for the industry as a whole in the state, what are some things that you are passionate about that you think other wineries and the whole wine region as a whole should be doing to help elevate continue to elevate North Carolina wine and to get the message out. Because it really does start with having a quality product. So so beyond that, what are some other things that we can do as an industry to, to get the word out to people and things that maybe it's vineyard practices, maybe it's winemaking techniques, or maybe it's just education and outreach? Well, I think you have to stay away from trying to be homogenous. You don't want to have everybody doing the same thing or trying to create, you know, the same cab front profile and use the same oak or the, the same clones, that diversity is also what, you know, you want to have the uniqueness at the same time, as you say, the quality. And quality can be a subjective thing. You, you can measure volatile acidity, you can measure the acid, you can measure lots of things. Right. But in the end, it's what the palate and the nose tells you. And uh, that repeatability that you, you get a glass of cab front one day and Two years later, it's a different vintage, but it's still excellent. And you start to realize you've got a quality producer there. It's, it's that we have to do. And sourcing, Diane started out earlier talking about it's the quality of the fruit that drives the quality of the wine. And while we're in a state winery, not everybody is, but you can still source high-quality fruit. And if it isn't high-quality, you throw it away. You know, you don't make wine just because you got fruit in your hand. I think and it's I, probably one of the difficult things with a lot of the, the, the people who are growing these or putting all their whole life work into it is that they just don't want to throw it away. But I think there are some, you need to cut the line and some of the quality if it's not good fruit. That's a great point. This year it was so wet. The reason Dan is as excited as he is about the harvest is we went through there multiple passes and would drop fruit that to most people would look really good, just drop it on the ground because we could see some marginal uh, rotting starting. We didn't want it to be picked accidentally in with good fruit. And so Eric and, and uh, Francisco went through, I don't know how many times, dropping marginal clusters. Now, every time we do that, and this is well after set, I mean, this is close to hers. Every time we do that, we're losing money in, in a way right. because that's less product for us. But then we sacrifice our brand and our quality, and that we cannot risk. And that's what I tell everybody, you know, we started this in 07, our grand opening was 14, and that's when we started doing, um, getting our wines out there in restaurants and wine stores, and we waited that long because you get one chance as a North Carolina winery to make a good first impression. And it's the same thing with subsequent vintages. You cannot put out a bad vintage, you just can't do that and be taken seriously. That's an excellent point. So you, you both have briefly mentioned wine club. Talk about your wine club and what what do you feel is the important thing in having a wine club and how does that help the business? Well, uh, your wine club are, not only do they purchase your wine, 
but they are out in their communities talking to people about who you are and what you're doing and how excited they are. And someone uh, post on, after I posted the message today about the San Francisco, that they were a founding part of our wine club. I mean, they're excited to see what's happening. So, I mean, wine clubs are very important and we value our wine club members a great deal. I mean, we're always looking for ways to improve the experience and add to the experience and make, their hap make them happy that they're a part of our wine club. So, and their honest feedback is so critical. We, yeah. we will always, you know, ask folks that belong to the club, what do you think? It can't, it's not so much about the wine, we know what we're making for wine, but accessibility, where you, know, you get it in your neighborhood. Uh, when you come up here, what do you want this experience to be like? We do these two annual, which we started out, by the way, as a very small, so let's do a picnic <laughs> for some folks. We didn't have a clue, and you know, now I think last time we did 500 brats, I'm over that grill all day, and it's, it's rewarding. It's tiring, but it's rewarding. I think the brats may be finding another home, I'm not sure, but, uh, <laughs> but it's, those days are amazing. When you've got four or 500 people here, that's not the size of them, it's just the people that can get here for that day. And it's just, it's just amazing. The hardest part for me is not being able to um, recognize every single person who's a part of the wine club because it's grown so large. And for us, our wine club, um, one membership is two people. So it has really grown a great deal. Do you mind if we ask how many people you have in your wine club? A few. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair answer. <laughs> And full disclosure, we are members of the wine club here, so. <laughs> yes. And valued yes. members of the yes. And founded, we, I think we were. Well, yes. not only, and I yes. will have to give you all a plug real quick. Not only, I mean, are we so appreciative that you're members of our wine club and have been for several years now, but we so appreciate what you do for the North Carolina wine industry. I mean, you're positive and you're really, really, really trying hard to spread the word about what's happening in North Carolina. So that's what we need. Thank you. Well, well thank that's, you very much. that's one of the things we try to do is we, we try to focus on the positive. And um, if there is some negative, then we just don't really talk about that. So there's enough negativity in the world that we don't need to add to it. Hey, so. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, and when you ask about, um, I can't remember exactly how, what the question was, but in terms of getting the word out, um, what ha and what we need to do as a state or whatever. Um, I think um, a more publicity about the North Carolina wine industry in major publications with people who are the influencers in the wine industry. I mean, I think that's what needs to happen to get the word out about North Carolina wine. I mean, as a single winery, we do our part to um, educate, do tastings and dinners around the state, um, and we try hard, but we're one winery. So. And this state has, has a, a really big advantage in that some of the chefs here are, are world done. I mean, right. And if, if they would uh, perhaps take a good hard look at how they could support us in some of the things that they do, you know, that would go a long ways. They, they have a stage. Yeah. Well, and That's I think true. Clark Barlow is a perfect example of yeah. that. Clark yeah. is... You know, I mean, number one, he is really proud of his state and he really wants to uh, to support what happens in North Carolina. But he's been a huge supporter of the North Carolina wine industry and um, multiply he's, him. He's made a difference. He has made he a has. difference, yeah, yeah without yes. a doubt. And Clark does great food at Carolina and Charlotte. That's so right. He does sip and savor here That's in right. the spring. So if folks and are we'll be doing it again this year. So. Yeah. 
That's always a fun, yes. a fun afternoon, even if it's 50 degrees and freezing cold. With yeah, it was the first one, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't order sidewalls for the tent. And it was, everybody. It was like, yeah, we don't want to block people's view. Didn't realize it was going to be, the wind was going to be blowing at 20 miles an hour. Well, it was like a winter day. And <laughs> you don't have to put this on the thing, but it was so funny. When I was out there helping Clark set up, he was making, you know, he does everything by hand himself. Right. At but least he, he had help last year. Right? He, yes, did, he did. But that first time he showed up, mm-hmm. I said, you're going to cook for 150 people by yourself? Sure. <laughs> well, he's taking this, this lettuce he had grown just for the Sip and Savor event, right? He's taking this huge plastic um, container he brought here to put it in a bowl to mix it with the things. And he grabs a handful of this lettuce and he reaches over the bowl, let's go too soon. And all the lettuce went flying. Oh, no. And he just stood there for a minute. <laughs> Toss out? <laughs> <laughs> he was on uh, his garden hose. Uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. But uh, oh. you, you, it was a great thing. Well, it was even with the wind and the chilliness of the weather. Um, people were excited for the next year, so that was that was great. That's awesome. So, what would you say, uh, in your opinions, do you think is next for North Carolina wine? Well, I think we're kind of seeing it right now. People are coming in from out of state. They're recognizing that this is a wine region here. Uh, I mean, we're working on our sixth AVA right now. Um, so, the recognition that, gosh, I think I want to be a part of this early on people who want to make quality wine. I think that's the number one thing, you know. That's the only way the North Carolina um, wines in general will be raised in their profile because, you know, if we're making quality wine. I mean, look at other wine regions. They were disjointed, you know, it took a while, but, you know, you have to make good wine, number one. And be recognized for it. And be recognized for it. We've only been, what, since, when was West Bend planted? 72, 72? That's when he came in, 72. Yeah, so it's a very short period of time. The judgment of Paris that what right. made California on the map was 76. Right. So we have a few years to grow. Yes, perfect. So uh, what's one thing that you would uh, want future customers or people who come here to visit, what do you want them to know about Jones Van Grill? Good wine, great wine. What's our slogan? Great wine, great times. Well, we are building an amphitheater out here that will seat about 1,200 people. And music, to me, is very much a part of the whole wine experience. And so we want to focus on the music and the wine. And so concerts will be announced, and we're, we're excited about that. We truly are. I think that brings us to the end of our questions that we have. Uh, we really want to thank you both for your time today. We appreciate you being the first guest on our podcast. Uh, we look forward to doing many more episodes and we may be back to speak with you again or bring Dan in next time. (laughs) So. Well, thank you very much. We, we really appreciate being a part of it today. And we want to thank Chloe for being here too. She's been such a good guest. And so quiet. (laughs) (laughs) No barking yet. So we've been good. She's like, yeah, I'm asleep. Okay. Maybe I'm sort of awake. All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you. That concludes our first episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Chuck and Diana Jones for hosting us and for being our first guests. We look forward to the future visits with them. And if you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. This really helps others find our podcast. Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers!